As you're turning to Romans 12, I want to mention too, uh, for those that may be visiting today or new, we are going through a series that's called Living on the Edge, Dare to Experience True Spirituality. We're studying it in our adult Bible fellowships as well as here in the worship service. And uh, it's based on a book that was written by Chip Ingram. And I want to encourage you again, you know, if you're enjoying this study, uh, we have printed up and have in the foyer uh, some cards that you could take, put in your wallet or put it in your purse. And, uh, you know, invite somebody to come and join us on a Sunday morning. Tell them what you're learning or what you're enjoying about the series and encourage them to come as well. And we've got both of these are on the tables where you can get the name tags and you can just use that as a very easy way to invite somebody to join with us on a Sunday morning. Listen to this passage again, Romans 12. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, would you use your word in our life to challenge, to encourage, to build convictions in our heart. Help us to see that your will is indeed the very, very best for us. And help us to give ourselves fully to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. In his book, Chip Ingram writes, God wants you to experience his good and pleasing will in your marriage, your job, and your future. God wants you to experience the very best in life that you can. He even wants you to experience his perfect will when it comes to the trials that we go through in this life. That we would see God in the midst of our trials and how He is there with us to lift us up or to give us His peace or patience or to develop and grow our character in Christ. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and that you might have it to the full or abundantly. He didn't say that life would be easy all of the time. He didn't say that life would be comfortable for us in every situation. He didn't even say that it would be safe all of the time. But he did say that it would be good. And that he longs to give us this life that is full in terms of meaning and purpose, growing in our relationship with him, seeing God at work in our life, and bearing fruit that will last for all of eternity. But sadly, there are many Christians who are not experiencing the best that Jesus came to offer. Why is that? Well, the reasons may be things like sin and disobedience. There are times when believers even have kind of withheld part of their life from God or haven't wanted to give themselves fully to Him because they haven't yet grown in their faith to see how good and trustworthy He is. And so sin and disobedience can keep us from experiencing God's best in our life. Sometimes it's spiritual ignorance. There are believers who simply don't know how to live an abundant Christian life. How do I experience what it is that God longs to give me on a daily basis? Well, that's what we want to talk about today, and that's really what this series is about. Growing in our understanding of God's will for our life in all areas. 
Well, as we saw last week, it starts with dedication. Offering our bodies to God as a living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to Him. And verse 1 in Romans 12 really stresses the decisive commitment. Coming to that point where we are willing to surrender our life to Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And we yield our life to Him. But verse 2 then stresses the ongoing commitments that we need in order to maintain that kind of relationship. And there are two processes that need to be constantly at work in us in our life. On the one side it is saying no to the world, not being conformed into the world's mold. And on the other side it is being transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so we're going to look at those, and as we go through this message, I've kind of front-loaded it. I've got a little bit more on the beginning, as I want to explain how important these two processes are in our life. And then I want to show you the fruit of that as we come to the end in this message. So the first of those two processes is to refuse to be conformed to the world's standards. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. J.B. Phillips, in his translation of the New Testament, said, Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. I like that. I like that. We live in a fallen world. The Bible tells us that Satan is the god of this age. And he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The unbelieving world does not understand the things of God. I mean, they're just foolishness to them. They don't value it, they don't understand it, and so they live by a completely different standard. And that is because, again, Satan has blinded their minds so that they cannot see it. All of us, before we came to know Christ, were in that same condition, and it took a work of God's grace who opened our eyes to see and understand the truth of the gospel. And when we become a Christian, God doesn't take us out of the world immediately. No, we live in this world and He calls us to live by a different standard. To be salt and light in this world so that others might come to know His Son too. But because we live in this world, it is easy for us to pick up the world's values. We hear them all the time. Uh, they are all around us, whether we are uh, at work or in school or reading a newspaper or we're looking at stuff online or listening to media and advertising. The world's values are all around us. And I want to share what some of those messages are that we continually hear. One of those is the message of secularism. And secularism is a philosophy that doesn't look beyond this world. It operates as if this age, this world, is all that there is. One of the notable figures who lived by that was a man named Carl Sagan. He said that the cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. And that's kind of his philosophy of life. You could put that up there. The cosmos is all that is or ever was or ever will be. I wonder how he feels now that he has died and passed on. We see that philosophy of secularism in commercials, for example, that want to say things like, you know, you only go around once in this life, so go for it all, you know, just kind of grab everything that you can get because this is it, and when you're gone, that's it. There's nothing more. 
But what does God say about that? In Colossians 3.1, the Scripture says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. There is more to this life than just what we see. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 4.18, Paul said this, that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It is this life, it's the things that we see here that are temporary and are going to pass away. But what is unseen, what we see by faith, is what's going to last for eternity. And so as Christians, we need to fight that message of secularism and refuse to buy into that and listen to what God has to say in His Word. Another philosophy of this world is humanism. Humanism is a philosophy that places man at the center of the universe. It basically takes that age-old lie of Satan that says that you can be like God. You can be your own God. Just look within. And if you have ever listened to Oprah or some of her guests, you know, that she has on there, I remember when she had Eckhart Tolle on there, you will hear the message that you can be your own God. And it sounds sweet and it sounds appealing and it promises to make you a better person if you will live this way and it will give you a better life. But it is a lie. It's a lie that Satan has been using from the beginning of time. What does God say? God says, I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me. I alone am God to be worshipped followed. The philosophy of relativism is one that we hear a lot. Relativism is a philosophy that says that all truth is relative, there are no absolutes. And yet when people believe that, if they were to act on that consistency, consistently, it would lead to moral chaos. I mean, if that's true, then who's right and how do you decide what is right and what is wrong in any given situation? I've talked to college students about that and I've asked them, well then, was Hitler justified in what he did? I mean, who are you to say that he was wrong? You know, and they'll try to come up with something like, well, well, it's okay for you to do what you want to do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Well, what gives you the right to say that? I mean, why can't everybody just act on what they believe to be right then? And if some a tyrant wants to say that he's right in terms of what he believes and he wants to wipe out a certain group of people, how do you say that that is wrong if there's no basis, no standard of truth to justify what is right or what is wrong? You see, people don't really want to live like that. They want to say that truth is relative to justify their own behavior, but they don't want it to be something that is going to be practiced at large because it would lead to chaos and anarchy in our world. What does Jesus say about that? He says that heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. There is something that is eternal. And he prayed in his prayer in John 17 to the Father, and he said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
You see, He has given us His Word, the Scriptures, as a standard by which we can live, and it is that standard that gives us authority to say, this is right, or this is wrong. It is the truth of God's Word that is to guide us. There's a philosophy in our world of materialism. It's a philosophy that says that success in life is measured by material things. So be as rich as you can, live as long as you can, grab all that you can in this life. You deserve it. You're worthy of that. And that's how you measure success. And so the world makes icons out of sports figures, athletes with big salaries, movie stars, rock stars, all kinds of people like that who appear to be very successful in life. And that philosophy trickles down to each of us when we feel like we need to build bigger and bigger homes, build a bigger barn, amass more stuff, whether it's clothes or toys or even building our 401Ks. How much is enough? And how does God want us to use those resources that we have been entrusted with? What does Jesus say about that? He says, watch out. And be on your guard against all kinds of greed. For a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of his possessions. If you want to read a good book on that, I would recommend Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. Tim Keller looks at the idols of our age and he says in America that greed is one of the biggest idols and we just don't even see it. Because we always tend to look at the person who has more than us and think, well, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not like him or maybe that other person with all that they have. And yet compared to the world and compared to history and how people have lived, we have so many things. And what does Jesus want us to do? Give. Give as the Lord directs. Give as He teaches in His Scripture. Give it away and let it be a blessing in the lives of others. Another philosophy of the world is hedonism. It's a philosophy that makes personal pleasure the highest aim in life. It picks up on that... Uh, saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And so it's all about me and my pleasures. Food, sex, recreation, sports, alcohol, leisure time, those are the chief pursuits of life. You know, and people begin to live that way and think that uh, it's all about me, it's all about my pleasure. So don't tell me it's wrong to look at pornography or to drink as much as I want to drink, or to skip church and spend the weekend like I please, don't tell me that that's wrong. Because it's all about me. And what you hear in that philosophy of hedonism when people talk like that is, I, I, I. It's not about God. It's not about His values. It's not about putting Him first in our life. It's about me. And what does the Scripture say? In 1 John 2, 15-17, it says this. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. It's pretty direct, isn't it? In terms of what the Scripture is saying about the things of this world and what the world holds as valuable and wants to possess and cling to, God says it's going to pass away. But the person who chooses to live differently, to live for God and to give those things away and to put Him first in their life, God says He will live forever. You know, we need to be reminded of that daily. We are not to be conformed to the pattern of this world. We are not to let the world kind of squeeze us into its mold and dictate what it says is right and wrong. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And that's that second process that needs to be continually at work in us. This renewing of our mind. And how does that happen? It happens as we spend time in the Scripture. The renewing of our mind doesn't happen automatically. You know, when we become a Christian, it's not like everything in our life changes immediately. And sometimes it takes time for those old habits to change or new ways of thinking to come into our life and new habits, new practices. It doesn't happen just because you prayed a prayer and asked Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. It's a work of His Holy Spirit who begins to change us as we spend time with Him in the Scripture, in worship, time with other like-minded believers, maybe those who meet with us, who disciple us and begin to teach us. We look to the example of other believers who have gone before us and they become a role model for us. And we are encouraged and we grow deeper in our conviction. And the more time we spend with God and the Word, the more we grow. And our roots sink deep and we are changed. We need to be in God's Word consistently, hearing and reading and studying and meditating and memorizing and applying it to our life. That's how we grow. So a key question for all of us is this. What are we putting into our mind? What are we putting into our mind? Is it helping or hurting our spiritual growth? It's where each of us need to take a spiritual inventory on our life and take a look at the things that we are reading and watching and listening to and all of those kind of areas of life that affect us and just kind of step back and think about that. You know, am I just, am I just picking up on the world's values without even thinking about that? Have I been so influenced that I really don't see what God wants me to see in those areas? Sometimes it's good to do a media fast where you just say, you know what? I'm going to cut all of that out of my life for a season or a time and I'm going to concentrate on growing in my relationship with Christ and I'm going to spend time in the Word. I want to be in a small group with other people who can help me to understand the Scriptures. That's why we offer those. That's why we encourage it for a lifetime really to continue to meet with believers who can help you to grow. That's what discipleship is about. Taking the Word of God, applying it to our life, helping others to grow, 
and then passing that on. So here are these two processes. Refusing and renewing. Continually at work in the life of the believer if we are to grow. And what we see then in, in verse 12 is that this dedication, this offering of ourselves to God as we begin to practice these things leads to discernment. It leads to discernment. That then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Well, here's how. Get into the scriptures and train yourself to hear what God says. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, the scripture says that anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Look at the last part of that again. Solid food is for the mature, the mature believer, the one who is growing in Christ, who by constant use of the scriptures have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. What he is saying is that this is a skill that you can learn. You can train yourselves to read and study God's Word. You can learn how to do that to feed yourselves from the Scripture. And you will grow in wisdom and discernment in all areas of your life. You see, God's Word contains both precepts and principles. And precepts are like commandments that God has given to us and Principles are like instructions or we need to listen to them and then exercise discernment as we look at different areas of our life. It's a little bit like, you know, learning how to drive a car and you go through the instruction on how to drive a car and the driver's safety classes and they tell you that there are precepts that you need to obey like stop signs and speed limits and those kind of directions that are out there on the road and you need to follow those. But they also teach you principles in driving a car like drive safely for the road conditions. I mean, if it's snowing and the roads are icy, you can't go 70 miles an hour on the freeway. I mean, you need to adjust and you need to exercise wisdom and discernment for the conditions. And they give you principles to follow like a three-second rule. You know, you should be three seconds behind the car in front of you. And if conditions are more adverse, give yourself another second of distance between you and the car in front of you. And they expect you to apply those things. Well, it's the same thing in the Scripture. God gives commandments like don't steal, don't lie, don't kill, don't commit adultery. And all of those commandments are still valid for the believer. We don't throw that all out as though that was all in the Old Covenant. No, those things are still valid for us. But he also teaches us principles, things like train up a child in the way he should go. What does that look like? What does that mean to train up a child in the way he should go? It's not all spelled out there and that takes wisdom to understand what are the things. And it takes actually knowing your child and discerning their bent and their giftedness so that you begin to train them to see how they can use their gifts for God's glory. And you begin to see in their character maybe the specific things that you need to work on in their life. There are principles like everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. 
There's a lot of things that we could do with our time, but what is it that's most beneficial? And we need wisdom and discernment in those gray areas of life. The Bible doesn't talk about television or movies or uh, different things that are part of our world today. We need to exercise discernment on what's good, what's bad in that. How do we use that? Take, for example, uh, if you were to take some of the common social media today, the Bible's silent on areas like texting, twittering, blogs, Facebook, even email. And so how should a Christian use those kind of means to communicate with one another? Well, you take and you apply principles of Scripture. And so you go, you know what? I am not to use those things to bash somebody, to tear down somebody or to vent and kind of put anything out there that I think I want to say. You know, I'm not to use those in a way that's going to have lewd or crude comments or suggestive behavior on those means. I'm to use those in a way that would honor Christ. And so the things that I put on Facebook or on uh, texting or all those kind of things should be things that I wouldn't be ashamed if God looked at because He does see them all. And that they are going to be used to build up or encourage or to connect with people. Those can be very good ways to connect with people and encourage. But they can also be things that really are hurtful when they are used inappropriately. It takes discernment, applying the Word of God to those different areas of our life. You know, and thinking about the time even we spend on those things. What's appropriate? How are we using our time in each of those areas of life? Dedication, commitment to God, leads to discernment, wisdom in all things, which finally leads to delight. Delight. We grow in our understanding of God's Word, and we begin to delight in it. His good and pleasing and perfect will. What a joy it is to come to the point in our life where we have grown in maturity and we can look at God's will and we can say, His will is good. His will is pleasing. His will is perfect for my life. Again, it doesn't say that His will is easy. It doesn't say His will is comfortable or that it's safe all the time. God will take us through trials, there will be sorrows, there will be loss, there will be difficulties in our life that are all part of His perfect will to make us more and more like Christ, to refine our character, to help us grow in our faith, and the more that we trust Him in those things, the more we experience His blessings, we experience His joy, we experience the gains of that kind of life. Yesterday I was here, and many of you were too, for Les and Lil Johnson's 65th wedding anniversary. 65 years of marriage. But what a joy to hear their children and their grandchildren talk about their mom and dad's commitment to Christ many, many, many years ago. When they chose to put Him first in their life and surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They said Romans 12, 1 and 2 were one of their, their favorite passages of Scripture. And you could just see the fruit of that in their family, their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren who love the Lord and want to serve Him. 
a life well lived for God's glory. And when we do that, we can look back on our life and we can say that God is good. Like the psalmist, we can say, Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. It is sweeter than honey to me. It feeds my soul. And we can say with the Apostle John that this is love for God, to obey His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. We have come to that point where we delight in God's Word, and what He asks of us, we go, I get it, God. I understand why You have given us these boundaries, because when we live within Your boundaries, life is good. And Your Word is not a burden. It is my delight and it is my joy. Have you come to that point in your life where you can say that God's will is good and that His commands are not a burden? That's maturity. So I want to ask you again this morning, what are you putting into your mind? Would you take the time this week to even think about that and evaluate both the messages that you are hearing from the world, the things you need to put aside and the things you need to do to renew your mind? Refuse to follow the pattern of this world. Renew your mind daily in the Word of God. And think about, take from this message those kind of questions and think about the application. What does this mean for me today? And how will I apply this message to my life? Let's pray. Father, we just want to put this before you this morning and say, would you speak to each one of us and show it is that you want us to do in response to this message? Father, we don't want to buy into the lies of this world and sometimes they just so subtly have affected us. Would you help us to hear you, to hear your voice of truth, and to live by what you have said in your holy word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen.